You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What is up, folks? Welcome back to another episode of the show. Thank you very much for sticking with me and tuning in this week. I don't know why it took me so long to get Mark on the show. This really should have happened a long time ago. We have talked on the internet for years and we've met in person and I really enjoy the man's company, so I don't know why it's taken so long, but we finally did it and it was a really fun episode. We get off into the weeds about being weird internet guitar guys and not really knowing what that means and we kind of talk about our experiences where we both started on Instagram and it was a kind of a unique little blip in time. So we talk about that and we talk about gear and all kinds of stuff. And I have to say, much like last week's patron exclusive episode, this one was straight fire as well because, well, I don't know. I had a blast talking to Mark. We have a lot of similarities in our backgrounds and the things we grew up listening to. And it was a nice journey into the early slash mid aughts. It was a lot of fun. So if you like that kind of stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash tone mob where you can get extra content delivered to your ears every week for just five bucks a month. And yes, some of those are super epic. So go check that out if that's your thing. And if not, please just share this with a friend, all that good stuff. All right, I'll shut up now so that we can get right into the episode with Mr. Mark Johnston. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it and other stuff, too. It seems more often than not, it's just other stuff. But hey, we'll see what happens with me today. I have Mark Johnston from, well, a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about because he does a whole bunch of stuff. So let's get into it. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I, I was very curious to see what you were going to pick in terms of the intro, because I've, I've thought about that before where somebody goes, what are you doing? I go, ah, uh, what day of the week? Yeah, I mean, I relate to that somewhat, especially when I'm talking to people like who don't pay attention to anything that I do. Obviously, people mainly know me from the podcast at this point, but that's definitely not all I do. So it's... When people like my sisters, like I try to explain it to people and she's like, and it just, I don't even understand it. So yeah. And you, you are more publicly all over the place than I am. (laughs) That's true. I have, I have found a way to make public facing basically every single one of my interests in a very, in a very confusing way. (laughs) So that's probably a good place to start. I don't know which came first with you. So where did you become a man of the internet and, you know, where people actually pay attention to the things you do? Like, what's the story? Where'd you start? Yeah, um, I actually, it, it's kind of funny. I was, you know, like most of us, I think we grew up playing in different bands that for the most part did almost nothing. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. being in a lot of bands in high school and afterwards that, you know, you get together, you rehearse a couple times, you maybe endeavor to do a show. Uh, and then in my early 20s, early mid 20s, I I was in a band in Sacramento called The Good Fortune that uh, actually kind of like popped off a little bit on the local scene. Like we put out an EP that kind of got a lot of love. Uh, We had a single that, you know, did pretty well on Spotify. And and then about a year and a half, two years into that project, I kind of started seeing 
the writing on the wall that this thing was not long for this world. And it was, it was kind of my first real foray into like, you know, being able to really be kind of out there with putting music out. And I saw it kind of coming to a close and our front man in the band had done most of the producing and all of our engineering. And so kind of as that was wrapping up, I kind of went, okay, I've got this Instagram account and I've gotten really into gear over the last year and a half or so. I need an outlet when this band ends. I need something else that I can be doing to keep kind of iterating upwards in terms of being good at my craft and also just getting better at producing my own stuff. And so I just started kind of endeavoring to make better and better quality just guitar stuff just on Instagram, just because there needed to be, to be somewhere that I was just dropping stuff for, for my own sanity and for people to hear it. And so that I would be motivated to kind of make sure that I did it a little bit better week over week, that kind of thing. And so that's just kind of where it started is I just needed to kind of have an outlet when I knew a band was ending. And that was mostly on your personal channel. Is that what, where you did most of that or was that on? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, or were you going to say uh, versus like ambient notes? Exactly. That's where I was going with that. Yeah. So um, actually, uh, funnily enough, I didn't start the ambient notes page. Uh, a guy named Brian did um, years and years ago, like way before I was doing any sort of like Instagram music stuff. And it's funny, my earliest connections to that page actually were one of the first big bits of online attention that old band got was a music video of ours that I had uh, shot and produced. Um, he reposted it on the ambient notes page and it kind of blew up pretty hard. And uh, that was actually kind of how I got connected to his, to him and that page in general. And it wasn't until years and years later when he was kind of taking a Instagram hiatus that, that uh, he kind of asked me if I wanted to take over that page. Gotcha. I was wondering how that worked out. Cause I knew Brian started it and I'd met him a couple times at NAM, and then I, the next thing I knew, it was you. And I was like, but I already knew you separate from the page. So I was very confused. So that, that yeah, clarifies it's, that. It's, it's a funny, it's a funny thing about that. Um, I remember just kind of, he, he's had people kind of come in and help manage the page. Cause I mean, I'm sure you know this. It's, 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 it's kind of weird how hard it is to manage an Instagram account sometimes. Like, especially when it's uh, like a curation page, it doesn't feel like a lot of work, but the like kind of daily slog of trying to find good content and like showcase it can somehow just become something that feels exhausting sometimes. And so I know that like uh, Dylan Witherow has helped out with that page for extended periods of time before. And, uh, and yeah, I was really kind of grateful to be able to kind of keep that page going. And it's just a great spot to be able to showcase people who deserve more attention on the platform. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of, I don't know what the word is. It's like, I have an interesting perspective on that because Ambient Notes started on Instagram like a little bit before I did. I'm not sure exactly how how much in advance of me they were there, but it was definitely like one of the inspirations for me to like start the Tone Mob account. And that's why you see a lot of the old posts from Tone Mob are less about me and more of like a curation thing. And I pivoted away from that when I realized that like, well, A, that I could be out here all the time. And, you know, I was working in the gear world all the time, whereas like early on, I was still at my day job. And so it was easier for me to 
go find things that I thought were cool, cool guitars, whatever clips, you know, it just, I just picked anything I thought was cool and I put it on there and the ambient note, ambient notes channel was an inspiration for that. Like they're, they're just like picking things they think are rad and putting it on this channel. I'm like, well, that makes sense. That's really cool. So yeah, that was a big inspiration for me early on when I stumbled across that stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny to think about pages like, uh, your, your account and ambient notes and like pedal board of the day and kind of what I consider to be something like the old guard of kind of branded to, for lack of a better word, Instagram music accounts, because Mm -hmm. I mean, over the last three to four years, maybe two to three years, uh, Instagram has really kind of just become very bogged down with a hundred thousand pedal board repost pages and and that kind of that kind of thing, just like a thousand curation pages that all exist just to build an audience, so that presumably, I don't I don't know what the end the end goal of just having a thousand curation pages is, but you can kind of see these pages that kind of predate that becoming the norm. And it's yeah. cool to kind of like see that they're still around and still doing well and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's there's a handful of accounts that I've seen like guitars are better or whatever, and like all the and they're just that's part of the reason I pivoted away from doing that was because it became kind of uninteresting, not necessarily because there weren't accounts that were doing a good job of it, but there were so many that weren't, they were just kind of shotgunning out anything that had an attractive person playing an instrument, you know, (laughs) like, Oh, for sure. For sure. And it was just like, I don't know. It just kind of became uninteresting. And then it was like, that was probably, for me, I think you're right, probably like three years ago, two years ago, somewhere in that ballpark where I pivoted into like, this is my personal, this essentially my personal Instagram now. <laughs> yeah. I don't post well, like all the cheeseburgers I eat, but I do post cheeseburgers sometimes. Hey, there needs to be more cheeseburgers in guitar Instagram. Um, one, one of the things that I really like about uh, so like kind of that that curation thing too is rather than just or I guess what I would say is like performance curation rather than just photo curation, uh, mm-hmm. especially on a page like Instagram is uh, or on a platform like Instagram is like I remember what it felt like when you know I had no followers and my band's page had like you know 120 or something like that and we put out this like live music video and the feedback and the kind of attention and the like the support that that kind of poured out from that feature was like it felt very oh my goodness like there there could be an audience for this that kind of thing and right and it felt it was so long ago but it was really interesting uh, about a year into running the ambient notes page of just you know kind of i've bounced back and forth between do i use it to mostly promote kind of like demos and showcases of new pedals or do i use it to kind of showcase artists that I really like, or do I try to find like smaller artists? And I remember one of the things was I stumbled across this, uh, this duo, um, called man, I'm going to, I'm going to pronounce their name wrong. It's really unfortunate. It's called like Vudlo or something like that. It's like V U D L O W. I think that's what their name was. But I, I remember seeing this music video they put up of this kind of instrumental track they wrote and going, Oh, this is really dope. This is the coolest thing I've seen on Instagram in six months. And I put it on the ambient notes page just with a little bit of this like kind of rant about, hey, I think this is really good. They're brand new. And that page gets, you know, a couple thousand on a video or whatever. And I think that video of theirs got 
gosh, it must've gotten 20, 25,000 views and their page blew up by like hundreds of follows that day. And, and I just, it was so, so satisfying and so like motivating to go having a platform to really find something special and to be able to blast it in front of a ton more people than would have normally seen it is like so high value and such a like great use of what we should be using a kind of audio visual platform like Instagram for. Yeah. You know, it's, you're a good guy to speak about this with because I'm sure you experience some of the same things I do where it's like this algorithm makes no sense. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I could get into some conspiracy theory stuff about the algorithm that makes me sound like a crazy person. So like, for instance, I just had to, as you were saying that, well, you're talking about this band, you know, this, this account just like, or that post, excuse me, like blowing up. Like I keep thinking about this one I did a few weeks ago where it was just an old Yamaha distortion pedal that I was like, you know, this thing is assembled really uniquely. Like, you know, you think about Boss and how thoughtful some of the features are in their classic, you know, uh, compact pedal design. This Yamaha pedal has a lot of the same things done a different way. And I thought that was interesting just from a usability and assembly perspective. So I made a little video like, two or three minutes, maybe, maybe five minutes. I don't remember of me, like kind of taking it apart and like showing people the different things. And I was like, this is, you know, like you said, it'll normally get like a thousand or, you know, sometimes less depending on how the algorithm's feeling that day. But you know, you, sure. it'll do a, a, a little bit of views. And that one's got 27,000 views on this stupid video that I didn't <laughs> think I'd put no thought into it. I didn't put, I put like, you know, maybe, five minutes of time into doing it. It's just, you know, me holding my phone and pointing out some of the features on this pedal. I'm like, this just doesn't make any sense. It just does not make any sense at all. That's so wild. I, I used to get embarrassingly uh, obsessive about the Instagram algorithm, especially a couple years ago. Um, and I started finding patterns that I'm convinced were not there. There's no way that they were real patterns, but they just got into my head as things that I could see kind of, happening consistently. And I started, you know, mixing up correlation and causation. But like, I had these theories that like, a post on Tuesday does better than a post on Thursday. But also, uh, if I have my my Johnny Marr Jaguar in the thumbnail, the video will perform better than any of my other guitars. Even if I'm using mostly other guitars in the video, if I use the, the, the Jag on one of the uh, guitar layers and I use it in the thumbnail, it will perform better. And it always did. And it doesn't make any sense. I don't think that's necessarily a conspiracy theory because I have super noticed that kind of thing. So if I post anything with my blue Roni Oceana, it just does better. Part, it just does better. It's something about certain guitars grabbing attention in some way. Then and then the other one that does really well for me, weirdly, is uh, my Black Telly Custom, which is kind of the opposite of the the Roni. It's like subdued, yeah. you it's know, the most and, like workhorse guitar. Yeah, that one does great, and the Roni does great, and it's just it just doesn't make any sense. But I'm sure that's not what people are tuning in for is Instagram guys talking about Instagram. <laughs> Maybe they are. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. If, if, if they, if they came here to, to hear me talk about something, I'm assuming it's instrumental music on Instagram. Probably. Well, probably at least that, but when yeah. did you start doing more demos? You've, you've done quite a few now. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, 
I, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, I always don't know how to talk about the like demo side of the world because it feels very uncharismatic to talk about like, you know, like gear endorsement deal stuff, that kind of thing. Um, I, I started working with a couple different companies as kind of my channel started to blow up. And even when I wasn't doing any like proper demos or anything, I just was kind of, I got really obsessed with, uh, when I first started getting into pedals, I I was I was really frustrated by the fact that so many demos and reviews of smaller boutique companies uh, were all like cell phone videos and like no real microphones involved in the process, and and so I just kind of got very old man get off my lawn about like if you're gonna put it on the internet, put your best foot forward kind of thing, and so I got mm-hmm. really obsessed about making sure that anytime I was putting something online that I was recording it properly and mixing it properly and all that stuff. And I think it just started kind of resonating in a meaningful way. And, and after a, after a while of just kind of going, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting asked to do features on different pedals, but I'm not making any real demos. No one's asking me to make like a proper demo. Uh, I started realizing that I was getting so many kind of just like messages on Facebook and Instagram and stuff, asking questions about the gear that I was kind of using kind of without, without kind of a sense of context that I just went, okay, I need to pivot and start making some focused videos if for no other reason, just so that like I can point people to a place where I've already answered the questions. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where it started for me. And it also, it was a mix of that and an intense desire to put uh, the quiet theory prelude in front of as many people as possible, because that's like one of my favorite guitars <laughs> I've ever made. And that was my first demo was, was, was me just ranting and raving about how much I love that pedal. Yeah. I, re- I remember that. I feel like you messaged me about it, like around the same time. It was like, have you played this? And I sadly still have not played it yet, but I what? hope to one day. I know. Oh my gosh. I know. I, mean, I, know. I mean, I'm going to yeah. put this on the podcast so that I'm motivated to actually do it. Uh, when we get off this call, we need to coordinate. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna send you mine for for a few weeks. All right. Well, yeah, you're think, not gonna I, hear I me say no to that ever. I think you're gonna dig it. It's 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 that right mix of like subtle that I think works really well with an amp. Mm. A lot of a lot of yeah. a lot of delay and reverbs, especially a lot of the tune ones, they get so kind of overbearing that you might as well just be plugging straight into your into your DAW. Um, and, right. and I, I've always considered that one to be kind of a like, this is a good band context pedal where you can't go full wet, you can't go to seventy minutes of, of decay time, you can't turn the pit or the uh, the the delay into some sort of like pitch shifting craziness. It's just it just sounds good when you plug it into an amp that's got some good drive on it, and it just sits right in a mix. And I think I think that's kind of that seems like your speed. You're you're into you're into the distortion side of things. Oh, oh, very much, very much. My think, current obsession is the, the is the SM7 <laughs> Smashbox. So uh, <laughs> that says a lot. Yeah, things sound it sounds so good. I don't understand how this pedal sounds so good for heavy distortion. It's phenomenal. I don't know why nobody's talking about it. But I, I mean, say I, this for me, would, for me, it's just because I'm ambient. But well, right. I mean, that makes sense. I, yeah. I'm a little bit all over the place. I do I do chugs, and I also like to to drone on ambient style a little bit here and there. But what I think would be a good move 
is since you're going to send me that to check out for a little while, I need to send you my Fender reflecting pool, which is my current ambient obsession. Ooh. That, that thing is really good. They did a really good job. It's a delay reverb also with a bunch of different modes, but yeah, yeah we'll do a little swap really, for a few weeks. I remember being really impressed with that one. I, when Fender first kind of jumped, I guess, technically back into the pedal market at NAM like two or three years ago, uh, with like those first two or three offerings, I remember being like, okay, does this, does this need to exist? And then very quickly I was, I was eating those words because like round two of new pedal offerings from them on forward have just been like so good. So, so good. I mean, the Pelt and the Pugilist were part of that first round, and those are both great dirt pedals. I mean, okay, I haven't that played might be one my bias against dirt pedals. Maybe that is. You know how I love me some dirt. So. <laughs> That's true. So, so many dirt they've been, pedals. They've been on. They've been on fire though. And and uh, gosh, the name. Uh, his name escapes me. The uh, the guy who does all of the circuit design for Fender pedals right now. Um, I met him at Summer Nam last year, and for my life, I can't remember his name. I actually have not met him. Oh, I think we're supposed to do a podcast. I got to get in touch with my guy over there again. He's a, yeah, he's that. a good dude. He's he's a great circuit designer. Um, have you played uh, the Lincoln Brewster Signature Strat at all? I have not. They 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 unveiled it at Summer Nam last year, which is actually the whole reason I was at Summer Nam. Um, and uh, but it's got a it's got two bur- uh, sorry it's got two boost circuits in the pedal or in the uh, in the guitar. One of them is a straight up flat boost, and the other one is kind of a mid hump tube screamery esque uh, circuit that are both kind of push pull on the volume and tone uh, pots. And okay. dude, they they sound incredible, and it's all the same circuit design stuff that goes into their pedals. And it's he is very good at what he does. I yeah, I don't know what his background is. I don't know the details, but hopefully we can get him on the podcast. So we can talk about all that because. A lot of people, myself included, like kind of skeptical when they first dropped. I was like, I don't know about Fender making pedals, but how <laughs> dumb is that really? They make yeah. great everything else and they have the resources to, you know, to make quality pedals. Why was I, why was I a skeptic? Does that just I know, it doesn't make any no sense. sense. They make, they make the guitars and the amps that go best with pedals. Like it just stands to reason. So Joe Branton and I recorded from the Guitar Nerds podcast, everybody. Uh, I don't know when the episode's coming out, but I recorded a Friday special with him here a few weeks ago. And he said it's because all of the other pedals they made up until this point were not that good. And I'm like, okay, that's a fair point. They had the Fender Blender fuzz, which was kind of cool. But then every other kind of attempt they've made, they weren't very good. So I guess maybe that's why we have that bias. Maybe, although maybe anytime a company made like formerly not good pedals, it just means it's a matter of time until people become really into them. Well, that's a good point. You, yeah, you know, like you look going at the back old, to the uh, SM7. <laughs> exactly. Or like the old Behringer, uh, the, that, that Behringer uh, drive that's got like a tube in it and the old Behringer uh, vintage Echo. Like all those pedals become like really vibey in certain circles. Chris Benson actually hyped me to that that vintage Echo. He's like, dude, it's one of the best delay pedals I've ever played. Are you serious? And then he's like, yeah, it's a great memory man clone. You know, like, (laughs) like if you do a good job cloning a memory man, it's going to be a good analog delay. Makes sense. That's so funny. 
Yeah, so I, I think I think I'm just calling it now. Uh, three years from now, vintage Fender pedals—they're going to be on the upswing. We just got to wait for uh, Josh Scott to do a, a vlog on them. <laughs> Man, speaking of a guy that it is high time to get him back on the podcast. He was on very very early, and has not been on since. And he has done all kinds of things that need it. You know, that are worthy of an yeah, update. No kidding. Yeah, you need to get him on just to talk about the freaking show. Like that is one of the most like yeah that his his vlog series is it's it's so good it's as somebody oh, who spends too much time that. on music on the internet like i i love anytime i can do something that isn't music on the internet these days that show is one of the ones that i'm like okay fine i i will absolutely absorb another another music channel <laughs> of course well speaking of not music things on the internet i need to tell everybody who's listening to this podcast right now Mark is also a host of one of my favorite podcasts, which a lot of people may not know. It's called Footnotes, and it's a wonderful history podcast. And I'll let Mark tell you a little more about it before we move back into music stuff. Awesome. Uh, first of all, I one of my favorite things is how consistently you are into that show. Um, I wasn't kind of sure what kind of audience we'd be releasing it to in the first place because... Uh, my co-host Kevin basically doesn't exist on the internet at all. And, and so it was basically all on me to kind of like try to promote the show when it, when it dropped and I was going, okay, I'm predominantly known for instrumental guitar music. It'll be fun to try to plug, uh, me speaking about not music for extended periods of time to my audience. <laughs> but, <laughs> but from a very early point, you were always very like into the show. And I was, it was very encouraging because, uh, launching something like that that takes so much work is uh, can feel very like, are we getting any sort of even emotional return on investment right now? And mm -hmm. your your kind of enthusiasm about some of the topics that we've done has been has been really encouraging. So first of all, thank you for that. But I should probably talk about what the show is actually about. Um, my my best friend since literally second grade, uh, Kevin and I started a history podcast about a year ago as I think when the first episode came out, maybe a little more than that. And uh, it's basically a, a deep dive into what we call footnote moments in history, which is stuff that you would see like a blurb at the bottom of your, your textbook. So you've got your, your body of text and you've got that little like beige circle at the bottom with like a little fun fact that has nothing to do with the actual context. And we take that and we turn it into anywhere between an hour and three hours worth of content. And it's it's really fun. It's great to do something that isn't strictly music on the internet. And we've done some amazing episodes. My favorite probably being the two-parter we did on Ernest Shackleton's uh, attempt to cross the Antarctic uh, continent and the ways that it goes horribly awry and the kind of almost surreal experience that it becomes. And it's just fun. Kevin's an amazing amateur historian, a great researcher, and a really good storyteller because he's a teacher. And that, I'm there for that series or, <laughs> Yes, for dad jokes, which I'm I'm all about. And that series, I guess it's just a two-parter, but was I constantly was like my I knew about Ernest. I knew that he existed and I knew what he had attempted to do, but I didn't really know anything beyond that. And that story constantly had me my jaw on the floor. I was loving it. Absolutely loving it. It oh, was insane. That was so that was, good. That was one of the longest 
sets of episodes we've ever done in terms of like runtime of the two episodes making up one story. And it was just, gosh, it's such a, it's such a fascinating and insane and harrowing thing. And I don't want to, if anybody wants to listen to it, those are the episodes I'm going to say start with because it's the most kind of surreal. Every time you think it can't get more out of control, it, it, it does. It's the kind of stuff that if you pitch the screenplay, people would like send you back to write a more grounded version. Right. This is too out there. This, this would not actually happen is what they would <laughs> exactly. say. It's a, uh, it's, it's really a wonderful podcast. I, everyone that's listening right now, go subscribe to it. If you have even a moderate interest in history, I am not really like a history buff. I find it interesting, but I'm definitely not like a historian uh, of anything other than nerdy gear facts occasionally. And uh, I love this, this series because I, I learn, I learn new stuff and they're great stories. They're like fascinating things that, that people, uh, you know, people have actually done, which is, and, and, I, and I can agree with everything you just said, part, because maybe. I don't do the research. I'm, I'm <laughs> also just, I'm also, I'm, yeah, I'm basically, I'm basically the audience surrogate. Like I'm, I don't, I don't know what the topic is half the time. And I'm just there to kind of like listen and react. And, uh, one of my favorite podcasts is, uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it, and it's amazing. He's an incredible storyteller, comma, you know, it's always world war two. It's always, uh, like Thermopylae, it's always these like big watershed moments of history. And it's, it's so much fun to get to dive into stuff that you recognize the name of and don't know anything else beyond that. Yes. Yes. I liked the Joan of Arc one because it didn't fit your brand entirely, but yet you told me a bunch of stuff about Joan of Arc that I had no idea about. So it it worked at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how you, she doesn't seem like she should be a footnotes character. And then as you start hearing the story and you realize, oh, I knew almost nothing about this person. Exactly. Like everyone's heard that name, but I I would wager that 99% of people do not know all the the crazy details of that story. Oh, yeah. Like like to, to, to even try to describe a single battle that she was a part of. I couldn't have done it. I could tell you who she was and how she died. And that's about it. Mm hmm. Exactly. Well, anyway, on to some guitar yeah. stuff. We were talking about modeling versus tubes, which is, you know, the hot button Internet topic in the gear world. And we were starting to get into some some interesting territory, but I can't remember I was like, oh, wait, we should pause and actually record this. So <laughs> I don't remember at what point I said that. But basically where where I was going with it is modeling is great and very useful for most people. But for me, I'm so spoiled. I, I just get to crank my amps all the time and nobody yells at me. We're, I realize that most people don't have that luxury. So... That's kind of why I'm I'm just not that well versed in the modeling world because I don't really have a need to be. And you had a I think a counterpoint or something to that. Oh yeah, I mean for me it was um, even now when I've got kind of got my own my own house that I can that I have that option. Uh, I still tend to kind of stick to modeling because it's just so easy for me. But I mean I started when I started kind of writing and producing and mixing and putting my own stuff up on Instagram and YouTube and that kind of thing. I was in you know, midtown apartments, one bedroom apartments, like in the city where you do not have the luxury of being as loud as you want to. And I, it's just, 
I'm so grateful for how good directing stuff has become because you can get so much done without waking people. Um, for a long time, I realized that my most productive writing time tends to be between like seven and 9 a.m., which is very strange because I'm not a morning person, but no one's going to like you if you're turning up a guitar amp at 7 a.m. in the city. And no, and it's just, it's, I mean, it's so the ease of use. I remember like my first like direct in rig that I was using was the old blood noise headphone amp on the left and a tech 21 sans amp on the right. And that was a guitar rig. And, but I, you could make it work. And as long as you can make it work, it's amazing. And I've always been a big proponent of whatever you can make sound good is the thing that you should be using right now. And, mm -hmm. and that's, and that's why I love direct, direct in stuff because no matter where you are, if you've got access to the cheapest recording interface on the planet and your computer, or even just like a little like zoom recorder and you've got your direct in system, you can be writing, you can be recording, you can be making something that you can release out to an audience that actually sounds good, which is really cool. Having said all that, my my Benson Vinny comes back this week and I cannot wait. I'm so excited to plug into that amp again. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Oh, it's going to be um, so good. Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of a funny thing to think about because basically what happened for me is I had my gear room in the house and Lynn hated it every time that I would go in there and make a bunch of noise because I would turn the amps up to a... Not like the level I will out here, but I'd get them crunchy. You know, I'd get them to where you want a tube amp to be when you're playing it. Sure. At, at least at like the minimum end of that. And she she hated it. It was obviously like too loud. She's It's not musical to her because I'm just in there like experimenting with sounds. And she's like, would you just play a song? I'm like, I'm trying to find the tones. Leave me alone. Um, I can totally see why though. it's like not. It's horrible. It's like listening to somebody practice violin who doesn't know how to play violin. <laughs> you know, it's like that equivalent, except that like, uh, it's got more feedback. Um, yeah, it's, it's like trying, it's like listening to somebody who learned how to play violin at a hundred decibels. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I totally understand, you know, why that, that was, you know, I would wait till she was not home to, uh, do what I really wanted to do. And I started building the shred shed, with the intent that it was also going to be the place where I did my home brewing at the time, which I was really into. And as that project kind of progressed and I started, you know, actually seeing what kind of room I had to work with, I thankfully fell out of the hobby of home brewing at the same time. Because if I would have had to have a homebrew set up out here, there would not be room. Uh, it would not work. And so yeah. I kind of, I stopped doing that just... It, I, I still would like to try it again sometime, but for me, it was just like a lot of work and then, you know, everyone wants your beer and so you end up with like a, a case after like all these hours and hours of work that you put in to it and oh, uh, it's just not really, you know, not really feasible. It wasn't really feasible time-wise for me anymore, but anyway, I moved all my stuff out here and... That was when I started building this. This is where I was going with this. When I started building this, modeling still wasn't there yet. This was like 2015. It still wasn't where it is today. It was just starting to get really good, in my opinion, in that time frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And so I started building this. I'm like, well, if I want to be on this tonal journey, I'm I'm going to have to have a place where I can turn up amps. So I built it with that in mind. And, you know, had, had it been 2020 when I came to that decision, I might have just got an Iridium instead of spending all this money and building this place. I, I really might have. And so I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> in retrospect, I mean, financially, anyways, you'd you'd have more beer right now. I can tell you that. This is true. I would have more beer. I'd have a lot it more. Sounds beer. like not. Sounds like not a lot more beer, though. Well, I I would have room for a much larger setup. And therefore, because it takes about the same amount of time to to do like a hundred gallon batch as it does a five, depending on what your setup's like. So, mm-hmm. as far as the brewing process is concerned, anyway. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna have to pick your brain about about kind of some of the stuff that went into the shred shed uh, construction. Uh, I am right at the very very front end of converting my very old, very not gear appropriate garage into a studio, and and okay. it's it's happening right on the cusp of my wife and I having our our first child, and so I'm going to need to figure out how do you do this in a way that doesn't make your child deaf very quickly. Okay. Yes. Well, I can help you with that because there we go. I w- this construction project started right on the cusp of us having our first child as well. So that was some considerations that went into this. I basically made it as as soundproof as I possibly could afford to because you can really make something super isolated, but you got to have the dough, you got to have the room, like the the physical space. Uh, yeah, and it's not cheap. It's not cheap to make something sound isolated at all. But I'm I'm happy to help. Cool. Yeah, you'll you'll be getting some some messages from me in the near future. I think because the, yeah, the goal is definitely after yeah, after a, like one bedroom apartment to one bedroom apartment, trying to like figure out how to record a blues junior as quietly as possible. I am finally at that point. Where I'm going. How do I put some real amps in here? I've got a I've got an old JC120 from the 70s that I'd really like to make use of. Mm, yes, and you should. You really should. Well, you can ask me some questions right here if there's anything off the, you know, that's not off topic with this particular podcast. Do you have anything on, at the front of your I, brain? I can't imagine it's going to be podcast interesting. I think it's mostly going to be uh sound treatment and that kind of thing specific. So, we'll see. Well, all right. If the listeners want to know more, they can uh, they can email me. Uh, there we go. Maybe maybe I'll boring. just maybe I'll just start. I'll start the uh, I'll start the discussion topic on the Facebook group, and that way anybody can jump in on it. There you go. There you go. I think uh, Coach Schneider has got some some input on that as well. He's he's built a studio or two in his day, and oh, obviously perfect. not on like crazy budgets. Because uh, once you have crazy budgets, it's it's everything gets a lot easier. But most people don't have that. <laughs> It's funny how that works. It's weird, right? It's like, yeah, when you got a lot of money to throw at it, you can make it perfect. But uh, yeah, I can tell you though that you can do something relatively affordably. It's just like it depends on how much room you need. If you need a big space, and I would even consider mine a fairly large space for for one dude anyway, uh, you can make it way cheaper if you can shrink it down. You know, like you could build an ISO booth that would work really well in a garage and and uh, it wouldn't cost you all that much. So. Yeah, I think I think the space I'm working with is something like 
15 by 22 or 23. So I should be working with enough space. Okay. Yeah, you should. We'll, we'll, we'll brainstorm on that later. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it, it'll be fun. It's, 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 it was built in the twenties. So I feel like I've got a lot to like, I'm not, I'm not being delicate with anything during the construction project. All right, cool. This, this will be fun to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. This will be, this will be a cool, a cool sledgehammer project. So let's talk about some more, uh, more gear stuff. You've Sounds got several good. really rad guitars. Let's talk about them. Which ones are your favorite? Oh man. I mean, far and away, my favorite guitar that I own, favorite guitar that I probably ever owned is my Jennings. That thing is chat. Chat is making stuff on just such a different level than anything I've used. Um, I got, I got my Voyager October of the year before, like October, 2018, I think. Uh, and dude, that guitar is it's, it's actually funny. I think that I ended up getting that guitar in part because of this podcast. So partial credit to you on that one. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I, I found those guitars at NAM at the start of 2018, uh, winter NAM. Uh, I went to the JHS booth and there's literally a picture of me from that NAM on Instagram of me holding a Jennings that was at the JHS, JHS booth and just kind of gawking at it and being like, this guitar is amazing. I've never heard of this company, but these are phenomenal. And he and I spoke a little bit online after that, but you had him on the podcast later that year. And I shot him a message after the episode, after I listened to the episode, kind of going, dude, it was great hearing you on the show. Love the guitars, all that stuff. And that actually kicked off the conversation that resulted in me getting my Voyager. Ah, oh, very nice. That's so cool. That's a beautiful guitar too. Dude, that guitar, it was, I can't believe how good that guitar is considering like it was, he does so many custom jobs and so much like made to order stuff these days. And that was just an off, like a guitar he had on the wall at the time. And, and it's fascinating because I'm not really like, a, I'm not historically a really big, like red guitar guy. And this guitar is kind of this like kind of wine red. But, and I'm also very much a single coils person. And he had a couple guitars that I was kind of, kind of like waffling between. And, and I was kind of going, Oh, that one's red. So maybe not that one. And he goes, I think you're going to like the pickups in that one. I think that's the one you should go with. And it's got McNelly stagger swaggers in it. And lo and behold, those are literally my favorite pickups on the planet. I don't think I've ever played a guitar with better pickups than that one. That is a, that's a, you got to love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I remember, I think the other one was, uh, autumn humbuckers and I can't remember what the other guitar I was looking at is, but he kind of went, this one's got these things called stagger swaggers. They're humbuckers, but they're underwounds. They're a little bit single coily. And I went, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm not a big, I'm not a big humbuckers guy. And that guitar has just changed my entire guitar worldview. Like it's, it's so, I don't know, man, like You've got you've got a couple really killer guitars like that, like your Roni and everything. So it's amazing to see what a, like a, a, a handmade guitar from somebody who is great at their craft feels like relative to everything else in the world. Yeah, I've been really fortunate to get a handful of things that are made by really passionate luthiers, and man, it's a it's a special thing. I mean, I look at my the fretwork on the millimetric, and I'm just like. I know how much time went into this. Like 
a lot. And then when Paul Roney, he came over and he wanted it. That's the first guitar everybody that wants that's like interested in guitars at all. That's the first one they want to look at is the millimetric. And Paul, like, of course, wanted to see one from a luthier perspective. And he he said that to me, too. He's like, do you have any idea how much time went into these frets? I'm like, I have a pretty good idea. They're all like <laughs> perfect, <laughs> like absolutely perfect. And so, yeah, Florian, people ask me all the time about the millimetric. I'm like, don't hesitate. It's going to be a top notch build that you're going to get from that guy. And it's nice when you can say that because there's definitely times with certain small luthiers where that's not the case. And it's really unfortunate to see somebody spend a lot of money on a, what's supposed to be a really nice instrument. And it comes back and it's like, Oh geez, this was, yeah, this was not good. Especially, <laughs> yeah, especially if you're dealing in price points and turnaround times that kind of imply that, that excellence. It, mm -hmm. cause there's some guitars that you kind of want to be janky. Like, uh, I, I love Fender guitars, not because they're excellently made guitars, but like, I love the fact that my, my Johnny Marr Jag is kind of janky and has some weird issues with it. Same thing with my Tele, same thing with my Strat. Like they're not perfect guitars by anything, by any real metric, but the, the awkwardness with them, the idiosyncrasies that they're, that, that exist inside of those guitars create so much inspiration for me and so much of an interesting tension when playing that I really love. And if, if that's what you're after in a guitar, then it's really beautiful to get that and getting a clinically perfect version of that is less inspiring. But if you're going after that, like someone's going to make a piece of actual art that is a guitar. Yeah. You really want it to be made by somebody who really has mastered that craft. It's really funny that you're talking about the, the fenders having the little weird things here and there, because I was just talking with Scott over at Stringjoy, who's somebody I talk to almost every day. So a lot of my stories start with, I was talking to Scott over at Stringjoy, uh, <laughs> but uh, about Fender guitars in particular, I also love Fenders. I'm, I'm a big fan of the company and of their products, both new and old. Uh, I'm not, they didn't sponsor me to say that, by the way. A lot of people think <laughs> I'm a shill sometimes. And I, I will tell you when I'm being paid, they're called sponsors. <laughs> they are at the top of every episode. Um, anyway, it, we were talking about Leo Fender didn't set out to make perfect instruments. He set out to make playable instruments that were accessible in price point that he could crank out as fast as possible out of that factory. Yep. That's that's the entire goal with a Telecaster. Look how it's made. It's made to go together as quickly as humanly possible. And a Strat, you know, even down to the like the top loaded pit guard on things. They're made to be assembled really quickly and efficiently. Like playability had to be there obviously, but it wasn't the first thing they were thinking of. Yeah, it's 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 it is so interesting, especially there's a lot of companies out there like uh I wouldn't call qualify them as boutique builders or anything. We're still talking kind of larger scale manufacturers who do a lot of like a Fender, but clinically perfect. And I just find mm -hmm. that a lot of them, they miss the mark on what makes a Fender so noteworthy. Yeah. And it, some of it is just, I don't know, the little things here and there, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah. I like my favorite, my favorite personal Fender is my, uh, my Tele custom and it's got, it's got some weird things to it. But one of the things that's not wrong with it that the internet loves to say is wrong is the three bolt micro tilt neck. 
everyone's like, those suck. I'm like, I've literally never had any issues with this at all, <laughs> ever. <laughs> I don't know oh, what the man. issue is. I don't know what the supposed problem is. It's been absolutely fine. I have no idea why that's supposedly a problem. Do you know? I, I have no idea. I, I, I feel like I know relatively little about the actual kind of construction process of so many guitars. I just know kind of what I like and what I don't like in a guitar. Um, but, and w once again, I think I said this earlier, which is simply just, if you like the instrument, I think when we were talking about direct in rigs, if something mm -hmm. works for you, if something sounds good and if something kind of enhances your ability to kind of seamlessly create and kind of streamline that process of feeling something and getting it recorded, then like, anyone's opinions on whether or not it's right are dumb and wrong. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, don't listen to me. What do I know? I, maybe you maybe you hate Fenders. Maybe you're a Gibson guy all the way. And if that's what makes you rip a sick solo, then don't listen to me. I'm just some idiot on the internet. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My, dude, you should see the wiring on my Jag. Like, it is. Dude, it's a mess. That guitar is so... It's so janky. I, I don't know how it even works, but it sounds very specifically good, and I love it. Is there anything unique about the Johnny Marr Jag? I'm not really familiar with that model. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of, I think it's kind of the Jag perfected, minus the fact that there's a bunch of weird things about it. Um, it's got uh, bare knuckle pickups, which I think is one of the only Fender guitars that doesn't have Fender pickups in it. Um, okay. and then, uh, typically your Jag is going to have your, uh, what is it? The three switches, your, your bridge, uh, pickup, your neck pickup and your choke switch that kind of like in and out of phase, uh, thing. And then you've got, um, your, your kind of treble and your, and your tone. This one's got treble and tone. And then you've got a four way, uh, like blade pickup selector and it's a uh, bridge middle and parallel neck and then middle in series, which basically turns the two pickups into kind of a giant humbucker. Okay. Uh, okay. And then up above, you've got two switches. One is a low cut, and the other one is kind of a low mid cut slash treble boost. And that one is only active when you're in that fourth humbucker position, which basically just makes that faux humbucker sound like it's a little bit closer to the bridge than it otherwise would be. Interesting. Yeah, I had yeah, to very imagine weird. that Johnny very, was very weird. doing... It. Yeah, I had to imagine that Johnny was going to be doing things outside of the norm. I just wasn't 100% sure what those would be. Yeah, it's those. And then my my favorite very small adjustment to that guitar as well is um the the slot that the uh, that the trem arm drops into has kind of like a rubber gasket in there so that it doesn't free spin. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. twist into place. It just pops in and then it stays exactly where you leave it, which I love. Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. That's kind of a pet peeve of mine is when when trim arms just spin around willy-nilly. It feels sloppy and like like I don't have as much control. I like them to be I like them to be able to move, but I also like them to if I let go, I don't want it to just swing down. That just that drives me crazy. And it's probably cuz my first guitar that had a trim on it had a mastery and I think that's like the perfect feeling and that's playing trim. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to go anywhere from that. If you started on a mastery, you're not you're not happy going down to like the Squire J Massis stock trim system. No, 
<laughs> not at all. Even on my uh, my Carmine Street Jazzmaster, I had them put just like a standard Jazzmaster trim in it, and that was because I had never played one for any like real length of time. And I was like, I want to live with this for a little bit. And now I'm like, man, I should have him put a mastery in it because that's what I'm going to do uh, one of these days. So that's hilarious. It, so have you have you made that switch yet? No, not yet. It's still got the. I, I was able to make a little tweak to it to make things better. And I think I'm going to pop some heavier strings on it. Maybe I'll try some 12s next time. And that might like satisfy me for a little while. I'm not okay, quite ready yeah. to spend that money. The Carmine Street Jazzmaster is the one that you just recently got that's got kind of the etching of the buildings on the back, right? That's the one. Dude, that thing is beautiful. That thing, that guitar looks so good. It's so good. And I think a lot of people would be very um, surprised to play it because it has the biggest neck in the world. And I know Jazzmasters really? are not, yeah, they're not known for that. I, I think it might be like a one inch neck it's it i've oh never God. never uh, <laughs> never measured it but it is big and it's good that i like big necks but jess picked it up uh my good friend justin porter for all the listeners and he was like dude this thing is a lot to handle i'm like yeah i know right and he's like i don't know if i could play this for very long it's like ah good thing i like fat ones uh, yeah no kidding that that sounds that sounds ridiculous it's so big. And all of his guitars are like that because he does not use truss rods and he uses pine. So to offset that, he uses giant necks, which are definitely not everybody's cup of tea. No kidding. I need to, I need to, I need to check that guitar out. That sounds, that sounds like I'm trying to figure out if I could live with that. I feel like if you're kind of doing a lot of chords and a lot of like below the fifth fret stuff, that's the kind of neck that is just amazing. You know, he he bases it, his theory on classical guitars and how they all have big fatty necks. Okay, and, okay, yeah. Know, classical players don't tend to, like really high-level classical players, don't tend to have any issues with speed. Like, they play plenty fast. So this idea that a, a flat, thin neck is faster, he's like, nah, it's not true. It's just what we've been... Just what we electric players have gotten used to. Like, the classical players shred like crazy on huge necks and you know rick's like it's better for your hand you know he's not a obviously like an orthopedic surgeon or anything but like he thinks it's better for your hand i tend to think that bigger necks are a little better health wise for your hand than thinner ones that's just that's just my preference but i don't know i'm not a doctor it's just my theory that's fair i could i mean i could totally see why that feels like it should be true. I have no idea if it is, but I also know that like, if you're going to bring classical guitar players into the equation, then yeah. I mean, all, almost all electric guitar players look like hacks in comparison. It's the same thing with like really high end bass players. Right. <laughs> you're like, you're like, look, Norm Stockton can do anything on an instrument that I can barely get my hand around. So I don't know why I'm talking about anything. Yeah, Exactly. And it's it's funny. I I did an interview with Tyler Larson from Music Is Win, and he was talking about the you know guitar players at Berkeley because he went to Berkeley are like viewed at the bottom of the rung, <laughs> <laughs> like just guitar players in general because it's just like they're they're guys like me. At least most most of us are guys like me who are like I don't know. I put my finger on it, and I think it's I don't know. I know what a G chord is. I don't know what. <laughs> 
anything about anything else though. Uh, I just hit it till it makes noise and they're all very like proper, you know, trained yeah. quote unquote and real even, musicians. And even in that hierarchy, electric guitar players are at the bottom of that sub rung. Yes. Which is so funny. I remember I was, I actually was a music major with a guitar emphasis. My, my first semester of college before I subsequently dropped out of college like five times. Uh, mm-hmm. and gosh, and I, I just, I did not know what I was getting into. I showed up to my first like guitar intensive or whatever with my Paul Reed Smith and my teacher kicked me out of the class. Well, what? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Cause I, cause it wasn't a classical, classical guitar and I didn't know that, that was the rule. Oh, wow. I didn't know yeah, that either. I, I would have just grabbed I, one of my guitars, like a guitar. Nope, exactly. I rolled in with my with my custom 22 and I pulled it out in the class and he went, no, you're not playing on that. And I went, it's all I've got. And he was like, well, find, find, a, class, find a nylon string and come back on Tuesday. Wow, man, that's rough. <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I dropped out of that program. Yeah, I, I definitely would have. I've been like, you... You probably aren't going to like it when I bust this big muff out then, are you? <laughs> <laughs> not only that, but I was like, oh, not if, if, if I'm not even allowed to use this guitar in this, I am not going to learn what I was hoping to learn out of this program. This is not going to be the, the professional track that I want to be on. Right. It's a different kind of uh, school, I mean, school of thought, I guess, for lack of a better term. I mean, school of a lot of things on that one, but... Yeah, so electric guitar players, we're, we're hacks. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I feel that way every single time I have a conversation with somebody who's like really well-versed in like modular hard synth stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've been a hack for my entire life and it's gotten me this far, so why stop now? That's the way I look at that's, it. That's pretty much how I feel. I, uh, I'm, 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 I'm about halfway done editing my, my review for the uh, Poly Effects uh, Bebo. Oh, and man. and dude, it's I. It was the same thing when I got when I got the Zoya at the start of last year. I was like, oh, this is what I feel like when I'm out of my depth on something. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable, but it's once you it's start a swimming, exhilarating. Yeah, once you start swimming, you start figuring it out. It's a good feeling. Yeah, it's it. It feels better when you're not attempting to record a video on the topic while you're learning it. That's a little stressful. <laughs> yeah i uh i can imagine so i felt that way yeah. with the the enzo when i first got oh it. I yeah like, i'm yeah, like yeah. Uh, i don't know but i you know i'm not a master at it but i got it eventually so if i can do it I, you can i too. get that i dude i love the enzo that is that is hands down one of my favorite pedals of all time it's it's such a the dry mode on that thing is the most beautiful instrument on the planet it's so good you can do so many things. Just so you turn yes, your guitar can. into something completely different, and it's so much fun. Just love mm-hmm. it. Dude, and I love the Maris stacking, people. They're so wonderful. Oh, they make they make the most. I mean, the Mercury Seven is the best pedal format reverb on the planet. Like the Cathedral Mode is my favorite algorithm that's ever been made. It's so good. Geniuses, geniuses. Hundred percent. Well. We're getting close to the end of the episode. And first of all, I've got to let you plug some stuff. So if there's anything you've been wanting to get off your chest or, you know, things you want to direct people to or whatever, this is your time to shine. Okay, cool. Um, 
it's so funny. My I spend so much time doing the 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 review stuff and everything that I for some reason anytime I'm plugging, I go to like buy a prelude or something like that, like plugging something that isn't even mine. But I'm gonna go with uh, I just dropped uh, a single from a new music project uh, about a month ago or so. Uh, so if people want to go check that out, um, the project is called Almanor, A-L-M-A-N-O-R. Uh, and the, and the single is called Rapture. It's on Spotify. It's on, it's on everywhere. Uh, it's not instrumental. So if you're into not instrumental music, you might be into this. There you and go. then, uh, footnotes, the footnotes history podcast. Those are, those are my plugs. I was going to plug that one one more time for you if you weren't oh. going to do it. So yeah, go subscribe to that podcast, people. Do it. You're already in a podcast player right now. Just slide on over, type in footnotes. It'll come up, footnotes, a history podcast, and you hit that subscribe button. You do it. That was a do way it. better plug than I would have done for that show, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm, I really mean it. I really love it. It's one of my favorite ones. It's one one podcast that I make sure to not miss a single episode of. So Yeah. There's that. Hey, and it's only once a month, so it's 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 not hard to keep up on. No, very easy to keep up on. I'm here. I am sitting here going I'm like I'm thinking about making this a twice a week show just to make things really hard for everybody. <laughs> Kevin and I have tried to talk about how to get our show to twice a month, but we'd have to like dramatically alter the format because he just puts so much like research into every episode because he basically ends up doing it without a script. It's 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 crazy. If if you have to alter the format too much, I would say stick to once a month because I really like it as is. That's just my think personal preference. That's about where I am too, especially because I do all the editing. Ooh, yeah, man, that's and rough. that show. That show <laughs> is not that show is not an edit light show. The um, the second episode of the Ernest Shackleton series took me seven hours to edit. Oh man, that is intense. Dude, it was bad. It was really bad. <laughs> that's so much but thank I you know. for thank you for it though i do appreciate oh yeah it. it's it's in service of the show it's all worth it absolutely all right mark we got some classic questions for you and then we're gonna move on to the you know patreon or whatever so okay. here we go what's your favorite boss pedal slow gear slow gear oh i think slow that's gear, first dude. And, dude and i was just talking about the enzo dry mode of course it's slow gear it makes sense. It does. Yeah. Well, that was a that was a quick draw. You just you had that one chambered. You were ready for that. There you go. I, what's funny is I didn't even know that was going to be the question. It's just it's the boss pedal that I know that I am into the most. It's either that or the PS5. The I used to have that super shifter for the record stop sound, and it was really dope. Nice. Very nice. All right. Here's the big one. Mark Johnson. What kind of pizza do you like? Oh man, I, I'm a fan of this show. So I've been prepping for this answer all my life. It feels, um, I, first of all, I am a, I'm a, I'm a simple man. Pepperoni is the correct answer. Um, mm. pepperoni, you can, I mean, there's nothing, you can't go wrong with that. It's just, it's just correct pizza and everyone likes it. And if you're ordering pizza for a group, and you just get pepperoni, everyone's happy. And if you have too much of it, which is not a real thing, everyone can have reheated pepperoni the next day. Whenever mm -hmm. you've got that guy in the group that goes, oh, can we also get, and then they drop like some like white sauce barbecue chicken nonsense, they still eat pepperoni pizza, which means now there's not enough pepperoni and everyone else doesn't want the white sauce barbecue chicken pizza. So pepperoni <laughs> is the answer. I, I have, have myself. I have opinions pepperoni. on this. I, apparently also, you do. 
Oh, also, also. It, it's worth noting, uh, I'm going to plug my, my local favorite pizza place here in Sacramento. If you're in the SAC area, in East SAC, there's a place called One Speed Pizza, like the bikes, One Speed. And it is such a good pizza place that I propose to my wife at it. Oh, wow. Okay. That is That's a ring. 100% true. That's 100% true. That's amazing. So what, what kind of style is it? Is it the thinner crust? What are they doing over there? It's, it's thinner crust, but it's not like New York thin crust. We're talking kind of, uh, I don't know, would you just call it gourmet? Like the kind of thing where it's never a perfect circle and you get like the big air pockets in the dough. It's mm, that kind yeah. of pizza. Oh, well, and their, their pepperoni pizza there is pepperoni and mushrooms, and it's amazing. That sounds so good. I'm so hungry right now. That's, I that know, really we might is. have to get pizza tonight. I might have to. There's a good chance that I'll be getting pizza tonight. That sounds so good. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a real treat. I don't know why it's taken me so long to ask you to come on, but I'm glad we finally did it. Dude, this was very, very fun, and I am stoked to have finally gotten to do this and talk about pizza. Absolutely. All right, everybody. For Mark, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Please go check out Mark on the socials. Definitely, definitely, definitely subscribe to his podcast. I seriously, seriously love it. I know I've said it a million times on this episode, but go subscribe. Go check it out. It's a great, great podcast. And yeah, if you want to hear more chat with Mark, which why wouldn't you? You can go to patreon.com slash tone mob. And for just five bucks a month, you'll get extra episodes delivered to your ears every week. There are so many extra episodes now. There's so much content waiting over there for you. It's, it's kind of insane. But if you can't do that, I totally get it. Things are weird all over. And if you could just share this around, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody, it all counts and every download puts a couple cents. No, not a couple cents, like fractions of a cent. But still, every download puts a little bit of coinage into the pirate ship and keeps this thing going. So thank you so much for all the support over the years. We're closing in on episode 200 and man, that's insane. So anyway, I'll see you on the interwebs. Feel free to join the Tone Mob Facebook group to hang out with me and a bunch of other cool people. And I'll see you on the internet. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. 
Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.